Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Thursday, December 19th. And uh, oh my gosh, I just um I got I, I just got back from Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio. I loved it. Who would have thought I would love Cincinnati, Ohio as much as I did? I think I might literally move there. I'm not even kidding. Uh, my, my lease is up in August, and hey, I might just peace out and go to Ohio. Um, I have two thoughts returning from that trip. Number one, uh, jet lag is a real thing. I had no idea. Apparently, if you fly across the country, you're just exhausted after the trip. I will be very clear. If you ever, please learn from my mistake and my lesson. If you ever fly to New York or just across the country to another time zone, um, give yourself time to recover after the trip. I did not, and I just was beat to shreds, man. I, I was so <laughs> exhausted after the trip. Um, now, number two, I want to say just to everybody, I, I've, been, I've been in a low point in my life the last two weeks. I really, really just dark, just struggling. Um, and, you know, this Cincinnati trip was a highlight. It really helped me. But this show, Strong Opinion Sports, has been, man... It's everything to me, and I want to say thank you so much to the people who watch and listen. Um, I feel like I'm finally moving through that, what, hap- what happened in my life, and I, I'm, I'm in a better place, and things are getting better, and that's good, and that's positive, and it's taken time, and it's taken work to get here, but I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart to everybody who listens to Strong Opinion Sports. It means the world to me. I'm so grateful, um, and that's where I want to start. I want to start with this today uh, about Cincinnati. Um, I spent the weekend in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, I went and watched the Bengals play the Patriots in Paul Brown Stadium in downtown Cincinnati. And wow, uh, what an amazing city. I love, love the people. I love the food. It's a really pretty downtown area. And I got to say, despite all the positives and all the fact that I love Cincinnati with all my heart, I still feel incredibly bad for the people of Cincinnati. Why do I feel bad? Because I feel bad that their NFL team, the Cincinnati Bengals, is a bad franchise. I feel so bad for that fan base. The question is why? Why are they bad? Ownership. Their ownership is awful. Mike Brown is the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. He inherited the team from his daddy, Paul Brown. And uh, the dad, Paul Brown, was a football legend, kind of a football rock star. He's in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. He, The Browns, the Cleveland Browns, are literally named after Paul Brown, the original owner and founder of the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, In 1968, he founded the Bengals in Cincinnati. And, man, it seems like the dad, Paul Brown, really knew the game of football. He was a football legend. And while the dad is a football legend, his son, Mike, is not. And, unfortunately, his son, Mike, is the person making decisions right now for the franchise, the Cincinnati Bengals. He pretends like he knows what he's talking about. Um, He doesn't. Uh, The Bengals do not have a general manager. What that means is... They haven't hired a football person to make football decisions for their franchise. Dave Tobin right now is the director, excuse me, Duke Tobin. Duke Tobin is the director of player personnel in Cincinnati. He kind of takes a a role helping with advising who the Bengals should go after, what players they should bring in. But there's not a general manager in Cincinnati. It's a huge problem. All of the decisions made about players are made by the owner, Mike Brown. I want to give you an example for a comparison. I want to give you an example of good ownership. While I was in Cincinnati, my dad and I went to Northern Row Brewing and Distilling. And we met the owners of Northern Row Brewery. We were given full media access. We were the first media ever to go into their brand new tap room. Their tap room opens at the end of January. And, uh, you know, the owners wanted to make German beer. So guess what they did? As people who wanted to brew German beer, they brought in German beer brewers, people who brew German beer. They, may, they brought in people that were a good fit. And then the owner set very clear expectations. This is what we want. And then guess what? They got out of the way. The owner set clear expectations. Then they got out of the way and allowed the talented brewers they hired to brew really good beer. Who knows how to brew beer better? The owner or the head brewer? Probably the talented person you hired, the head brewer. Regularly in business, you see ownership 
get in the way of their business succeeding. Good owners hire smart people, smart, talented people, and then they get out of the way and allow the people they hired to do what they're good at, which is whatever the field they work in, they're, 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 you know, whether it's football or brewing beer or restaurants, whatever it is. You watch Kitchen Nightmares, one of my favorite shows. Gordon Ramsay's a host. Regularly, ownership is the reason why the restaurant is failing. So again, the brewers were given, hey, the owner said, we, here's our clear expectation. This is what we want. Then we're going to get out of the way. Northern Row Brewery has some of the best ownership I have ever come across in my entire life. And I, my dad is a food writer. I've been to, I think, hundreds if not thousands of breweries and restaurants and distilleries. I've met a lot of ownership. And a lot of them are pretty good. The, the owners of Northern Row Brewery are phenomenal. They understand. They get it. Hey, we're going to hire talented people. And I'm going to say this for the 15th time. Get out of the way. Mike Brown, the Bengals owner, is afraid and unwilling to give up power to someone beneath him. He will not give up. He will not hire a smart football person and get out of, out of the way. He needs to hire a general manager. Zach Taylor is the Bengals head coach. He's a young guy. He knows quarterbacks. He played in college. He played a little bit of professional football at quarterback. He understands the quarterback position. And from where I'm sitting today, it's really hard to tell whether or not Zach Taylor is a good coach or not. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's working with the Cincinnati Bengals who have bad ownership. It just might not be Zach Taylor's fault. It might be upper management causing him problems, handcuffing him, not allowing him to be the creative genius of football that he is. We don't know. It could be the ownership's fault. But here's what I do know. Here's the real tragedy of the Cincinnati Bengals. They are about to draft Joe Burrow. They're going to draft Joe Burrow in the first, probably with a first-round pick, first overall pick in the NFL draft. Joe Burrow is a quarterback. He's from Ohio. That's where Cincinnati is. He's from Athens, Ohio. It's pretty clear to me they're going to go for Joe Burrow, the local Cincinnati, the local Ohio kid. They're going to bring him in. He's a quarterback from Louisiana State, LSU. He just won the Heisman Trophy. Joe Burrow was named the best player in all of college football. And I will tell you, I have never been more all-in on a college quarterback than I am, am on Joe Burrow. I believe in Joe Burrow with everything in my heart. He is an incredible quarterback. The dude cares. He's incredibly passionate. I mean, why, first of all, go watch his Heisman speech. He literally cries on stage because of how much it means to him. You can tell he's deeply moved. I've never seen a guy, one, be that open and honest about his passion for football. But then if you watch the tape and you watch on Saturdays the way Joe Burrow's played in the last two years, it's incredibly clear he's passionate about football. He's made dramatic improvements. He's been at LSU for two years. Last year, he was a very average, mundane quarterback. This year, he took a gigantic step forward. And you can say, well, it's coaching. It's not all coaching. Joe Burrow did the work. His mechanics are better. His footwork is better. He's a talented quarterback. He's a great leader. He's got everything off the field and on the field that you could want. Joe Burrow is a quarterback I am all in on. I believe heavily in Joe Burrow. He's the best quarterback I've seen in a long time. And it's more than just his physical ability. It's who Joe Burrow is at his core. And so an Ohio kid is going to go play for the Cincinnati Bengals from Cincinnati, Ohio. And look, I believe if anybody, if any quarterback can turn around the Cincinnati Bengals, it's Joe Burrow. But sadly, I don't think that Joe Burrow can save the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think it's possible. I was talking to a Bengals fan this weekend, and he said, man, we just need to draft Joe Burrow. He said, quarterback is the most important person on the team. And that Bengals fan is mostly right. It is mostly the truth that the quarterback is the most important position on a football team. But sadly, the reality is actually the most important person, the person you rarely hear about, because most of them are just a good enough job that you don't ever, they don't ever get in the way. But sadly, the most important part of an NFL team is the owner. That person, the owner, is the most important person on the football team. If he reaches his hand in the cookie jar and gets in the way and has his hand meddling with football, he can be a problem and ruin things for the rest of the players, no matter how talented the people you hire are. Just imagine if the Brewers at Northern Row Brewery 
had ownership handcuffing them, telling them you got to use these ingredients, got to do it this way, micromanaging everything they did and not giving them the freedom to work and be creative with what they do. Northern Row Brewing has some of the best beer I've ever had in my entire life. It's actually straight up my favorite. I cannot wait to go back there and have more of it. But it wouldn't happen if the ownership got in the way of the creative people and didn't allow them to do their job. No matter how good Joe Burrow is, he's going to be drafted by the Bengals. It's going to happen. I don't really care that it's, you can say it's a bold prediction. I don't, I don't believe it. I think unless the Bengals are massive idiots, they're not going to draft, they're going to draft somebody else. Unless the Bengals are massive idiots, they're going to draft Joe Burrow. It just, it's too good a story. He's from Ohio. He's the best quarterback in the draft. They're going to do it. And in spite of the fact that he's incredibly talented, ownership is going to get in his way. Even the best and the brightest need good ownership that allows them the freedom to shine. It's just funny, man. I saw this gigantic contrast in Cincinnati this weekend. Northern Road Brewing has incredible, talented brewers. And the Bengals are going to have this incredible, talented quarterback. Why will the Bengals be the one that fails? Ownership. You can have all the pieces right, but if your ownership is meddling and too involved and overly involved, you're going to fail. Ownership is going to get into Joe Burrow's way. The Bengals have bad ownership, which stifles and limits talented people. Again, I'll say this over and over and over again. I was so impressed with Northern Row Brewery. The best owners are like the owners of Northern Row Brewery. They hire people who are smarter than, than them in that field. Brewing, football, restaurant, whatever you want it to be. Hire people who are smarter than you if you're the owner. Create clear expectations and then get out of the way. Let the talented people you hired do what they do best. And sadly, the Bengals owner, Mike Brown, will not do that. This is why the Bengals are going to fail, even though they're about to draft an incredible quarterback, Joe Burrow. A quarterback, I believe, in Joe Burrow's career is going to have a sad ending because his ownership will not be good enough. Oh, man, it's so disappointing. There's nothing worse than watching a missed opportunity or watching somebody get in their own way or not allowing. I know someone recently who had something great in front of them and they couldn't allow themselves to enjoy it and it cost them that opportunity. It's like, man, that's so sad. You feel bad for that person because they got in their own way and there's nothing more sad than people who get in their own way. I saw a lot of things on my adventure in Cincinnati um, I love it. We're going to talk about Tom Brady. I got to watch Tom Brady live. And we're also going to talk about Andy Dalton, the Bengals quarterback. I actually want to start with Andy Dalton, the Bengals quarterback. I, uh, oh, I feel bad for Andy Dalton, the quarterback of the Bengals. He's been the Bengals quarterback for years. And uh, his time as the franchise quarterback seems to be coming to an end. You know, I've actually watched a lot of film on Andy Dalton. I recently went through a breakup, uh, and that breakup threw my whole life you know, sideways and threw me off. But before that breakup happened, I was about halfway through the season watching Andy Dalton film this year. And let me tell you what I saw when I watched the film. It's that in multiple ways, Andy Dalton has been set up to fail. I feel genuinely kind of bad for him. Number one, Andy Dalton is a victim of being drafted by the Cincinnati Bengals. A doomed franchise with... Bad ownership. But number two, this is more sad and more important. Andy Dalton is in way, way over his head. Have you ever seen someone, you ever seen a situation where somebody gets a job that they're just not qualified for? They're underqualified for the job they have. They don't have the skills required to do the job well. Imagine, imagine if I, Zach Schaumler, was hired by NASA to design spaceships. It'd be a huge mess because I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm in way over my head. That's an extreme example. But it's a similar situation with Andy Dalton for the Cincinnati Bengals. Andy Dalton doesn't have the physical ability necessary to be a long-term starting quarterback in the NFL. He was never qualified for the job, and yet he was put into a situation where he was needed to be and he was never put in a position to succeed. When the Bengals decided to make him their franchise quarterback, eh, problem right there. Should have been a red flag. It was over. It never was going to work. Andy Dalton is incredibly limited 
as a quarterback. He has an incredibly weak arm. He also can't run to make up for the fact that he can't throw very well. Andy Dalton is very similar to Case Keenum, the former Vikings, now Redskins quarterback. He's got a low ceiling with very limited potential. I mean, sure, once upon a time, he had a good year or two. He made it to the Pro Bowl once. Maybe twice. I don't actually remember what, how many times it happened. But the truth is, Andy Dalton had some success in the past. But that's the ceiling. That's the best it was ever going to get. Making him a 10-year long-term starter in the NFL was a mistake. It should have never happened. That's the best he has. Now, Andy Dalton is a really nice guy. He presents really well. He, as a forget talent on the field, let's talk about face of a franchise, he does a great job representing his football team. But that's only part of the skill set required to be an NFL quarterback and to be a long-term franchise quarterback. Andy Dalton doesn't have what it takes on the field. I've met people who worked with him at events. They did, they did coordinated Cincinnati events with him, and they said he's a wonderful person. He's very nice. But again, the sad, harsh reality is Andy Dalton should have never been. He should have never been in the position to be the franchise quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals. Straight up, he doesn't have a good enough arm. And, and that's going to make people upset, but it's true. I watched him play live on Sunday. He throws what you would call in baseball a slow curve. Or you ever seen a changeup in baseball? It just it doesn't get there quick enough. It, it's got not a lot of velocity. He's also not highly accurate. Andy Dalton had four interceptions on Sunday against the New England Patriots. I was there, and it's over. It's over for Andy Dalton in Cincinnati. You could see on the big screen, the video board, the jumbotron, whatever you want to call it, at the stadium. You could see the look on his face after his second interception in that game. He knew it. He knew it was over. And he was grieving. I felt, I shouldn't laugh. I felt bad for him. The look on his face told him he knew his time in Cincinnati was coming to an end. And I felt bad for him because he was, he was grieving and you could tell he's upset. Like he could tell he's about to lose his job, but he was kind of just trying to gut through it and fight through it trying to stay focused and trying to play. And when you're grieving and upset and want to just cry, it's really hard to push through and have a good rest of your day. And he didn't have a good rest of his day. He had two more interceptions. They lost by a lot. But Andy Dalton was grieving the loss of his job. He knows the Bengals are going to move on. And he did his best. He's a nice guy. But Andy Dalton has always been in over his head as the franchise quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay, um, I don't know, where do I go next? Uh, on Sunday, on Sunday, the Patriots beat the Bengals 34-13 to in Cincinnati. I was there. I was at Paul Brown Stadium. And for me, it was a cool moment because I got to see Tom Brady play live. He's a Hall of Famer. He's super accomplished. Uh, for me, it was kind of like seeing the Beatles live. You know, I'll always have the story when I tell my kids or my grandkids, yeah, that guy Tom Brady... I got to watch him play football live and in person with my own eyeballs. It'd be very exciting to me. And uh, I have a few, you know, two takeaways about the Patriots and then a few about Tom Brady from getting to see them live. Number one is that, you know, the game was in Cincinnati, but man, it felt like a Patriots home game. Patriots fans were everywhere and they were loud. There was a moment where the Bengals dropped a punt, the Bengals fumbled, the Patriots grabbed it, they got the ball back. And man, that stadium went really loud. It felt like I was, again, at a Patriots home game. It was kind of bizarre, kind of weird and interesting. Um, I felt bad for the Bengals, their players, you know. Pretty much everybody there was a Patriots fan. And as an outside observer, just I, I'm bipartisan. I was wearing a brown shirt. Like, I didn't have a favorite team in that situation. I was wearing, like, a Dickies pullover hoodie. It was just cold. Um, and I didn't have a, a really a side in the fight. It just felt bad for the Bengals. I was like, man, like... This feels like an away game for you guys at home in your home city. That's brutal and that's rough. The other takeaway I have is that, you know, it didn't feel like the Patriots dominated. They won the game 34 to 13. And, you know, I could have expected that it wouldn't feel like a gigantic dominating game. People say that the Patriots are really boring. And then you just suddenly look up and go, oh, wow, they're leading by 30 points. What the heck? And it's totally true. It's exactly, that's exactly how I would describe a Patriots game is it? it doesn't feel like they're winning by a lot. And then you look at the scoreboard and you go, oh, wow, this game feels like a close game. It's evenly matched physically. There's no gigantic plays for the Patriots. 
Um, you know, they had a fumble recovery. The Patriots had four interceptions. But somehow, in spite of all that, it just didn't feel like a dominating performance by the Patriots. They just kind of lull you to sleep. And next thing you know, oh, they're up by 30 points. It's just very interesting to me. Now, Tom Brady, the Patriots quarterback. Um, you see videos of him on the sidelines yelling and screaming. But to me, that's not... That's not Tom Brady for 95% of the game. 95% of the game, Tom Brady is pretty mundane, very even keel, relaxed. He doesn't go too high or too low. He's just kind of measured the entire game. A measured and even keel is exactly how I would describe Tom Brady typically during a football game if you just watch him the entire game on the sideline. Now, Tom Brady does about three things. Every once in a while, he does a fourth. But there are three things Tom Brady does, and that's about it during an NFL game. He has a very solid rhythm. He actually spends the majority of the time on an iPad with the Patriots offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. I guess technically it's a, what is it, a Microsoft Surface, because that's the thing they have contract with. Um, But he spends most of the game making adjustments with his offensive coordinator. That's about it. Tom Brady literally just sits on the bench, staring at a screen for most of the game. Now, when his defense gets on a third down, he'll stand up. He'll find Jarrett Stidham, the backup quarterback. They start to play catch. And uh, you'll notice that Brady throws really, really hard while his backup, Jarrett Stidham, does not. And that's by design. It's important. Uh, You might be, you know, if you're just an observer, you'd be like, what's wrong with Jarrett Stidham? Why is Jarrett Stidham throwing the ball so soft? It looks like he has a lot of arc on the ball. Like, does he have a weak arm? What's going on? And uh, there's a couple reasons behind all this. Number one, the reason why Tom Brady throws the ball really hard is because he's trying to build muscle memory and build confidence. You know, before you go out on the field, you want to make sure that everything is firing at all cylinders and you can go full speed and trust your arm. Now, the other reason why Jared Stidham is not throwing hard is to protect Tom Brady's hands. I mean, it's the weird, interesting truth that Tom Brady's got to warm up and get himself ready, but you're not trying to warm up Jared Stidham. He's just trying to get the ball back into Tom Brady's hands. And so they throw the ball soft back to Tom Brady because you don't want Tom Brady to have a jammed finger or something go wrong catching a football from a, a, another quarterback. It is really cool watching uh, Tom Brady and Jarrett Stidham, the backup, the young rookie and the, the longtime 20-year NFL veteran. Uh, that They appear to get along really well, Jarrett Stidham and Tom Brady. Um, you know, they're talking to each other. Brady has his hand on Jarrett Stidham's shoulder a lot of the time. It kind of looks honestly like you know, people would say uncle and son, but that's not really what it is. It's more like older brother uh, and younger brother, the way Brady talks to and relates to him. It's very, um, you can tell it's kind and they have a good relationship. Now, the three things Brady does, iPad, he does, you know, he's looking at the iPod, making adjustments, he's warming up, and then number three, he's on the field playing quarterback. And that's a solid rhythm. You know, he occasionally after a drive, he does do a fourth thing. Uh, especially after a drive fails, you know, they have an incomplete pass or they, you know, they have to punt it away or they fail on fourth down. Brady will go talk to his receivers and make an adjustment with them. And I I saw him yell at a couple guys occasionally, but for the most part, Tom Brady just really is talking to them, making adjustments, making clear that things are working. Um, And it's, there's just, it's very, it's just very systematic. There's just a clear rhythm with Tom Brady and with the Patriots. They don't fall from that formula very often. Uh, It's kind of fun to watch. It really is. Now, if you ever go see Tom Brady, please do not expect him to be wild or flashy. That's not who he is. I would imagine people that don't really know football very well, but they've only ever heard about the legend of Tom Brady. For people who've only heard of the legend of how great Tom Brady is, but they don't know football very well and don't follow very closely, those people might be disappointed because Tom Brady, you know, his style's boring. And I expected that. But there's no better way to put it other than his style of quarterback is boring. There's not crazy plays. He's not flashy. There's no wild big runs. There's no crazy passes. Tom Brady just plays a very boring, efficient style of quarterback. That's exactly what I expected. But in case anybody out there is expecting to go watch Tom Brady for the first time, don't expect a wild, crazy performance. That's just the wrong expectation to have. A lot of throws underneath. I would call it a Tom Brady playing quarterback is kind of a slow burn. And I'll be totally honest, I saw a couple throws that Tom Brady missed. He had a throw on the goal line down the seam to the left where that looked like it should have been a touchdown, and he missed. But I don't think the reason why Tom Brady's missing passes in this moment in his career is because of age. 
I've now seen him on film. I've seen him in person, literally watched him live. I think people just regularly are characterizing his flaws and his issues with the wrong thing. It's not his age. People don't understand you can throw a football forever. You can literally throw a football until you're— I mean, Joe Montana, 63 years old, can still throw a football incredibly well. You watch Boomer Esiason—well, Asai- not Boomer Esiason, what's his name? Phil Sims. Phil Sims, the former Giants quarterback, played in like the 80s or not. I can't remember when he played. 70s, 80s, 90s, a long time ago. He's an old man. He throws the ball incredibly well. Because guess what? Your arm strength doesn't just go away. Your arm just doesn't fall off, and you suddenly can't throw the ball. As your body gets older, the reason why quarterbacks have a harder time staying in the league is because they can't stay healthy. Their knees, their joints, they can't take hits anymore. It's very rare that when a quarterback gets old, their arm falls off a cliff. It's not what happens. When a quarterback gets old, their knees, their joints, their footwork, all of that falls apart, and it becomes harder for them to take hits. But you look at all these old quarterbacks, they can still sling the rock, and it's the same with Tom Brady. Especially after seeing him live, I think a lot of his inaccuracy this year is not because of his age, but because of his lack of trust and his cohesion with his receivers. His receivers and him are just not often on the same page. Timing is off. And he's got new guys like Mohamed Sanu who've only been there a couple weeks and they're still not quite up to speed yet. They're, you know, uh, they're a foot off or uh, in-raking route should have been an out-raking route. There's little things that just they're not fully in sync yet. And I think, man, I'm just telling you, the whole Tom Brady decline, it's overblown. I've now seen him on film, in person. Uh, I just, people don't understand. The reason why Tom Brady's throwing incomplete passes is not because he's old. It's not like his arm suddenly doesn't work. He's accurate. He can throw the ball well. The reason why he's off is because he's got receivers that him and, him and his receivers, just they're not jiving. There's something they're not on the same page regularly. I just think people are in such a hurry to blame age, and they don't really understand how the quarterback position works. I played quarterback in college. I will be able to throw a football until I'm 50 years old. Well, people look at Phil Simms, look at, uh, what's his name, the quarterback I mentioned earlier, Joe Montana, he's 63 years old. You can still throw a ball into your old age. It's not the ability to throw. The way Tom Brady's age would be affecting him is with his ability to take a hit, which he rarely does. His inaccuracies, his incompletions are not coming because of his age. Tom Brady's incompletions are coming because of his lack of cohesion with his wide receivers and with his tight ends. They're just not on the same page. There's something off, but it's not Tom Brady's age. I'm more convicted of that now after watching him play live. Whew. Oh, man. Losing my breath. Um, maybe I'll take a break. No, let's just plug on. Um, Seattle Seahawks receiver, Seattle Seahawks receiver Josh Gordon has been suspended indefinitely for violating the NFL rules on substance of abuse and substances, I guess, performance-enhancing substances. Number one, it's really, really sad. Um, Josh Gordon seems like a guy with an addiction issue. And that's just disappointing and sad. And it's also interesting, the number two thing is it's interesting that it was just announced Major League Baseball is no longer going to test for marijuana. They're just not, that's just not on their list of banned substances that they care about anymore. Uh, and in one league, nobody cares. In baseball, it's not a big deal anymore. In the NFL, Josh Gordon has repeatedly gotten in trouble for marijuana use. Now, um, addiction, is, addiction is a sensitive, sensitive topic. I don't really want to go too deeply into it. But I do think the one thing you have to acknowledge with Josh Gordon being suspended is it's hard not to acknowledge the New England Patriots. The Patriots released him heading into week nine of their season, and he was a good receiver who helped them win games. And it's hard not to look at the Patriots and go, man, they must have known something was going on with Josh Gordon because why else would they have released him? The Patriots quietly released him. And uh, in doing that, they did what was best for them. The Patriots took care of themselves. If they knew something, they kept quiet about it. They didn't share it with the league. They just quietly let it go. And they quietly let him go. And and doing that, by releasing him in week nine and giving Josh Gordon really to the Seahawks, all that suspension drama now belongs to the Seattle Seahawks rather than the New England Patriots. 
The Patriots protected themselves. Just imagine if the Patriots had lost Josh Gordon in week 16 today rather than in week 9. They'd be way more reliant on him. They'd have used him a lot more. He'd be a lot more built into their system. They learned how to play without Josh Gordon because they got rid of him weeks ago. The reality is that the Patriots did an incredible job protecting themselves. Did they do what was best for Josh Gordon? I, I'm not the one to say that, um, but it does seem like, man, the Patriots did a great job taking care of themselves. And uh, it's just interesting, man. The Patriots always seem to know something that everybody else doesn't know. I mean, they just always seem to be ahead of the curve somehow. And um, they, they, they did a, I think, a, I don't want to praise it, but the Patriots, you got to acknowledge, they took care of themselves and their needs by getting rid of Josh Gordon in week nine. Um, I think no matter how you do it, losing him week 16 would have been way worse than losing him nine weeks ago. And so the Patriots, in my opinion, did the right thing by releasing Josh Gordon a while ago. Somehow they must have foreseen the future. Maybe they knew about what was going on behind the scenes, and they said, we don't want this drama. Let's just get rid of him and make it someone else's problem. Very fascinating. A lot of weird, interesting, fascinating stuff uh, related to Josh Gordon. And when you think about the fact that the Patriots released him weeks ago, clearly understanding something was wrong with Josh Gordon. All right, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return... We're going to talk about Kirk Herbstreet. We'll talk about the New York Giants uh, and Eli Manning. We'll talk about the Raiders and Gardner Minshew. And then we will end the show with the Green Bay Packers and my lack of concern for them. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. We will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to go into this. I follow ESPN analyst Kirk Herbstreet on Instagram. And uh, he's been doing something really, really cool the last couple months. Um, He works for ESPN's College Game Day. And that means he works with Lee Corso, who's a legendary analyst in the sports world. Uh, Lee Corso is 84 years old. And he's been an analyst on ESPN's College Game Day since 1987. If you can't do the math, that's a long, long, long lifetime of doing football analysis. And Kirk Herbstreet has begun documenting his adventures with Lee Corso, this old football analyst, this old man. And it's this really, really cool thing. Uh, When I was a kid, my grandma, my older grandma, we called her Grandma Jenna, she lived with us. And uh, my dad told me every time we would leave the house, hey, be sure that you say goodbye to Grandma Jenna. And I did. And the reason my dad told me that is because he knew something really, really important that most people really struggle to accept. It's this very complicated concept. Guess what? Old people die. Old people die. It's what happens. When you get old as a human being, you die. I hate saying that. I, I, it's, just, it's a fact. It's a painful reality of life here on earth. And because I said goodbye to my grandma Jenna every time I left the house, I was prepared for her death when it came. You never knew when you'd come home, and uh, that would be the time. And one time I came home, and... That was the time Grandma Jenna was gone. It was sad, but also I'd prepared for her death, and I, I, I had dealt with it already. I'd already I'd been dealing with it every time I left the house. I knew that hey, this might be the time. And so, to me, Kirk Herbstreit is doing the coolest thing in all of sports, which is he's documenting his adventures on video with Lee Corso, and it's beautiful. It's sweet. It's really really cool. Um, I've actually met Lee Corso. I worked very briefly one time for ESPN's College Game Day. Um, he's a really nice man. He's also a very, very old man. On, on video, it doesn't come through as much, but you meet him in person, you go, oh, this dude's old. And I just think it's so cool. I think really like the nice guy in sports award should go to Kirk Herbstreit. He's doing something incredible right now. He's documenting his adventures with Lee Corso. And to me, that's just the coolest thing in sports. I wanted to share that because I saw it and I was like, man, I just, I've enjoyed this journey. I've enjoyed following Lee Corso and his his time with you know Kirk Herbstreit has been so much fun, and I want to just give a huge shout out to Kirk Herbstreit. He's doing one of the coolest things in the entire sports right now, in the entire sports world right now, by documenting the the adventures of him and Lee Corso. Um, the New York Giants played a home game on Sunday. The Giants beat the Dolphins thirty-six to twenty, and the main storyline here 
was that Eli Manning, the Giants quarterback, started at home for the Giants. He was a starter for years and years at quarterback for the New York Giants. And then the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. They replaced Eli Manning. But with Eli Manning, with excuse me, with Daniel Jones hurt, Eli Manning was able to start one more game at home in New York as the starting quarterback for the New York Giants. It's likely Eli, Eli Manning's final start as the Giants quarterback in New York. Now, he was 20 for 28 passing. He had 283 yards, two touchdowns, now three interceptions. And uh, Eli played all right. The coolest part was that they won, but the truth is Eli Manning was kind of had some really good throws and then some throws where we were like, oh, that's really bad. And there's a reason why he threw three interceptions because that's Eli Manning, right? He's, he's had a very um, kind of a roller coaster of emotion watching Eli Manning every time you watch him for years. Now, I've seen articles. Uh, they're probably clickbaity crap. People do that. They find an, an, a, a thing they know will pe- make people angry, and they write about it. But I've seen headlines saying that the Giants are better off with Eli Manning at quarterback rather than the rookie Daniel Jones. That's wrong. That's just very wrong. Daniel Jones is the right thing moving forward for the Giants. And uh, it's time for the Giants to move on from Eli Manning. I want to speak directly to New York Giants fans. I want to make an analogy. I ask that you listen to the entire thing. It's the only way I can properly explain the way and the fact that Eli Manning's moving on. Um, I went through a really painful breakup recently. It destroyed me for a little while. Um, And she was a part of my life for years and years. And I have a lot of really good memories with that girl. I mean, she, she meant a lot to me. Still does, to be honest. And when it ended, though... It had run its course. It was time for the relationship to be over. And when it's time for things to end, it's really tempting to ignore all the issues moving forward and just latch onto and hang on to all those good memories. You're like, what about this? And what about that? What about this? And um, look, Giants fans have a lot of positive, great memories with Eli Manning. They won two Super Bowls together. They broke some records. Um, And I really hope that Giants fans, I hope you cherish those memories Forever, I know I will always cherish the good memories I have with my ex-girlfriend. They're good moments. Appreciate them. But also, it's time to move on. Eli Manning is 38 years old. He'll be 39 in January. January 3rd is his birthday, actually. And there's literally a better option than Eli Manning right now on the Giants. His name is Daniel Jones. He's this promising young rookie quarterback. He's talented. Oh, I really hope the Giants build around him and give him some help. Maybe an offensive line that's a little better. Um, I was talking to the owner of a brewery in Cincinnati this last weekend, and here's the advice he gave me. It was very telling. It was really helpful. He said, people come into your life, and they're kind of like chapters. Some chapters are longer than others, and when a chapter ends, you don't need to be bitter and angry or upset that it's ending, you know— For example, my ex-girlfriend was a five-year chapter in my life. That's a long time. It's a lot of experiences and good and bad. And Eli Manning was an even longer chapter in the history of the New York Giants. And for Giants fans, they've had had Eli Manning as a part of their lives. I think in 2004, is that when he was drafted? A long, long time. And the chapter's over. But it doesn't mean you can't appreciate it for what it was. It was a good run. You had good memories. You had some hard moments, but you learned lessons through all of it. It was what it was, and now the chapter with Eli Manning is over. And I cannot think of a better end to Eli Manning's chapter in New York than winning a home game, playing well, being the starting quarterback, kind of riding off into the sunset. That's the best ending you're possibly going to get. And so I really hope that Giants fans, just please let it be. Let it be. Let it be the end. And appreciate that chapter of your life with Eli Manning for what it was. It was a good thing when it was happening. And that chapter is now over. Okay. um, Here's a fun, fun narrative here. On Sunday, the Raiders played their final game in the Oakland Coliseum. And guess who the winning starting quarterback was? What quarterback won the final game in the Oakland Coliseum? It's going to be a fun trivia question for years. That guy was Gardner Minshew. Oh, man. Uh, It brings me so much joy. I love Gardner Minshew. He's the quarterback for the Jaguars. Um, His team, the Jacksonville Jaguars, got the ball back with a minute and 44 seconds left in the game. First and 10 on their own 35-yard line. Down three points. It was 16 to 13. 
And Gardner Minshew drove his team all the way down the field. They scored a touchdown, and they won the game 20-16. to Gardner Minshew is the real deal. I love him. Man, it's awesome. You look at the, the Jaguars players' social media. I went and looked at Leonard Fournette's Instagram. He's got a picture. He's proud of his quarterback, him and Gardner Minshew. He's like, this is the man. You can tell the Jaguars players, his teammates, they love Gardner Minshew. And I am telling you, he's a special person and a special quarterback. Gardner Minshew is a real deal. And if the Jaguars can't see that, they're idiots. I know someone recently who had a really good thing in their lives, and they just couldn't appreciate it. They couldn't keep it together. They couldn't enjoy it. And therefore, they missed out. I, the Jaguars had better appreciate Gardner Minshew. This thing right in front of them, hitting them in the face. There's this awesome thing. You better had learned to appreciate Gardner Minshew. He's an incredible quarterback. He's not got the strongest arm. I think that's part of why people don't embrace him as well. But he can run, and he galvanizes the people around him. Gardner Minshew is a franchise quarterback, and you got to accept him. I really think the Jaguars got to bring him in, build around him. Let the, the fact that the Jaguars love him, his teammates, I mean, they're all in on Gardner Minshew. It's a huge deal. And it's so weird to me that for whatever reason, I guess arm strength, the Jaguars front office cannot seem to embrace their quarterback. They brought in Nick Foles. It didn't work. Gardner Minshew, it's clear it works. Embrace him. Allow for him to be the guy. I just, it's so, I didn't even plan to have this rant. I just went on a rant. It drives me nuts. Enjoy the thing right in front of your face. Gardner Minshew's right there. He's so good, and the players love him. The Jaguars had better build around him. Whew. I mean, running's part of his game. Ja- you know, Gardner Minshew reminds me a lot of a lot of younger fans of the show. Um, I only I wasn't even alive really when he was doing this his thing, but um, I'm a huge football nerd. Gardner Minshew reminds me a lot of Doug Flutie, a former quarterback who is in Buffalo actually, and Buffalo would not embrace him. They replaced him with Rob Johnson, this taller, bigger quarterback, and for whatever reason. The Buffalo Bills couldn't embrace Doug Flutie, who won games and actually did well for them, and the players loved him. They're similar quarterbacks, man. They run around, they're scrappy, they're not the biggest or the strongest. Um, you know, Gardner Minshew is Doug Flutie. <laughs> it's just right there. Um, I love the joy that Gardner Minshew lives his life with. He lives his life with it, he plays with it. Um, and I met Gardner Minshew one time on the set of a Pac-12 network show. I was recording, operating a camera, and he said, life is an adventure, and I'm just trying to make the most of it every single day. That's a quote. That's what Gardner Minshew said to me. And most people need that attitude. Make the most of it. What does that mean? Do the work. Work your butt off. Have a good work ethic. Be prepared when your moment comes. Make the most of it. But the other part of make the most of it means enjoy the experience. Gardner Minshew very clearly enjoys playing quarterback for the Jaguars. Not enough people in your life tell you to enjoy your life. They say work hard, do this, do that. It's also okay to smell the roses and just enjoy the experience, enjoy the journey. The little things. I'm in Cincinnati having a bowl of chili, spaghetti, and cheese at Skyline Chili. I'm like, this is awesome. A night with your friends, maybe the thing that you enjoy is a night out, but on the journey towards something. I'm, I'm on a journey trying to build strong opinion sports as big as I possibly can, but there, got, there are moments along the way where you go, this is awesome, and I'm going to enjoy it and have a good time with it, and I encourage you, enjoy your life. Enjoy the journey in a direction. Gardner Minshew so clearly does, and I find it so inspiring. I just got a new couch that someone gave to me, and I sat on my couch last night and was like, man, free couch. It's awesome. I love it. It's so cool. Enjoy all the little things. This chair I'm sitting in, straight up, someone gave me this chair. I finally have a chair I can edit videos in with lumbar support for my back. It's the first time in my life. I'm, I don't have, I'm not buying a chair, and so it was so cool to me. I just, when you watch Gardner Minshew, the dude has so much fun interviews, winning, running around, throwing the ball. I mean, he's just got a giant smile on his face. Gardner Minshew enjoys his life. And I hope everybody listening to this finds a way to enjoy their life as well. Live like Gardner Minshew. He's the most inspiring player right now in the NFL. I love what Gardner Minshew's doing. He's succeeding, and he's having so much fun while doing it. And I just, I'm all in. I love Gardner Minshew. He's my favorite player in the NFL. Uh, He found a way to replace Tom Brady, which is pretty cool. Um, I'm I'm a giant Gardner Minshew fan. And it's more than the fact that he wins and the fact that he plays well at quarterback. It's who he is as a person, the way he carries himself, and the joy with which he lives his life. Okay, um, the Green Bay Packers are 11-3. and They're first in the NFC North. I want you to understand that. They're having a great season. They're doing really well. And yet a major complaint that Packers fans keep sending my way 
is that their team keeps winning ugly. They're like, man, they're good. They're winning, but I'm really concerned they keep winning really ugly. <sighs> okay, look, I get it. The The Packers beat the Redskins by five points. That's a little bit alarming. You're like, why? The only five points, the Redskins are terrible. That's the NFL, though. The NFL is not college football. In college football, Alabama better beat, for example, Washington State. Alabama plays Washington State. They better win by 50 points. The talent level is far more equal in the NFL. Any given Sunday is literally a term they say because any team can be any team because there's not a gigantic difference in talent no matter how good your record is. But the other thing is this. You know, the, the Jaguars, excuse me, the, the Packers just had an ugly victory over the, the Bears on Sunday. Aaron Rodgers was 16 for 33 passing at 203 yards passing, only 203. One touchdown, no interceptions. And the Packers didn't score in the fourth quarter. And a lot of people are concerned. They're like, oh, we're winning ugly. And a lot of people are wrong for being concerned. The Packers keep finding different ways to win football games. And to me, that's the mark of actually a really good, well-run, well-organized football team. A good football team finds different ways to win every single week. Let's appreciate the progress the Packers have made in the last, I don't know, two, three years. In the past, the only way the Packers could win was if Aaron Rodgers put the team on his back, played like an MVP candidate, and was incredible, and just carried them to victory. Things have changed in Green Bay. For years, Packers fans always yelled at me, Aaron Rodgers needs to get help. We need help for Aaron Rodgers. Well, guess what? They finally got Aaron Rodgers' help, and yet for some reason, somehow, Packers fans cannot seem to accept it. Everybody's all worried. It's nonsensical. Pick a side. I'm not kidding. Pick a side. Is it, does it, do you need more help? Do you need to win games more ways? Or does it need to be all Aaron Rodgers? Because right now it's not all Aaron Rodgers. And that's all anybody wanted for a long time, and yet people are unsatisfied with it. It's weird to me, man. The Packers have found so many ways to win football games this year. They had a game where Aaron Jones, their running back, I believe it was against the Cowboys, had four touchdowns, and they ran the ball incredibly well. That's how they won. They've had other games where there are more defensive struggles, and the defense comes up with a big play at the end of the game, and that's how they win. And then sometimes Aaron Rodgers puts on his MVP cap and plays phenomenal, and that's how they win a football game. The Packers have won so many different ways this year, and the fact that they can win ugly is not a bad thing. It shows that they're no longer solely dependent on their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers. They also appear well-coached. What's my prime example of that? You can get mad at me all you want. The fact that the Packers find different ways to win every week shows they've got a coach who's willing to adapt and play differently and do what it takes to win. They're 11-3. and They're first in the NFC North, and yet somehow Packers fans are still unhappy. I don't understand. Things are changing in Green Bay. Things have changed. They're different. And change... Sometimes it's good. In fact, usually change is good. Not always. Sometimes change is a good thing. And instead of being afraid about having change in Green Bay, I really want Packers fans to lean into it. Appreciate how much better of a football team you have now. You have a football team that's good enough that you don't need to rely on Aaron Rodgers playing and carrying the team every week. That's not a bad thing. Winning ugly is not a bad thing. It's actually the mark of a good football team who, despite struggle, and challenges, finds a way to win every single week. I feel incredibly encouraged that that's the narrative coming out of Green Bay right now. I'm not concerned. I actually think the Packers winning and winning ugly is a good thing. I got to say, um, before we end the show, I, I love the vibe of the Midwest. I'm, on, I'm in the Minneapolis airport on Monday. And uh, there's Vikings fans and Packers fans everywhere. And they're sitting next to each other. And they're just talking smack. And it's so much fun. There's just this fun banter that I love between Packers and Vikings fans. And you only really get that in the Midwest. Uh, you know, I would imagine Yankees fans and you know, Boston Red Sox fans would just want to kill each other. They're just fighting and yelling. There's not any cordialness. There's a level of it's important, clearly. It's at the forefront of our minds during football season that Packers fans and Vikings fans, football's there. They care about it tremendously, far more than people. I live in Portland on the West Coast. I hate this area. They don't care about sports at all. It's not the same level of intensity about sports. But unlike the East Coast, East Coast is intensely also passionate about sports, but they're angry and mean. On the West Coast, man, I just I love the attitude. There's fun banter. They make fun of each other. Oh, he's just a dumb Vikings fan. Like That's fun to me, and that, that whole... I really have fallen in love with the Midwest. I think the vibe of the Midwest fits me. I love the people there. I love the way they relate to sports and the way they care about sports is so cool. Um, 
I don't know. I, I really see myself moving to Cincinnati in a couple of years. Probably, honestly, my lease is up in August. I might just go to Cincinnati then. Um, to be Cincinnati is this weird, wildly cool place that is, you know, it's it's four hours from Detroit, four hours from Chicago, an hour and a half from Kentucky basketball, an hour and a half from Indiana, where you know Bloomington, Indiana, where uh, the Indiana Hoosiers play basketball. It's also an hour and a half from Louisville, Kentucky. It's an hour and a half from Indianapolis. It's four hours from Pittsburgh to watch the Steelers. It's a driving distance within from Tennessee, where the Titans play basketball or Titans play football, and there's concerts. It's within driving distance of Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, uh, oh my, Cleveland, where the Browns play. There are so many gigantic sporting events. It's an hour flight away from Green Bay, Wisconsin, where the Packers play. It just blows my mind. I can't believe how central to the Midwest and how central to all this incredible sports. You know, sporting events are Cincinnati, Ohio is this incredible center point. Like if I lived in Pittsburgh, I'm not at the center of all this stuff. If I'm in Chicago, I'm not in the center of all this stuff. Cincinnati is a weird central point, and it's really cheap to live there. I fell in love with this, you know, the city of Cincinnati and the city, you know, the whole area, the people, the sports, the way they care about sports. The the skyline chili makes me incredibly happy. I could see myself in Cincinnati, Ohio, this time next year. Love and life, going to a bunch of football games and a bunch of basketball games. And I uh, just want to share that I'm so pumped up. I, I really, really love the Midwest. It seems to fit me. Okay, uh, if you're struggling, please go get help. I do this every single episode. It's really important. If you are struggling, please go get help. Four years ago, a little, you know, nearly four years ago now, my younger brother took his life. His birthday was on December 14th. He died on February 8th, uh, February 8th 2016. And uh, in that experience, I learned two really painful lessons. Number one, my brother never shared his struggles. And so if you're struggling, talk to somebody. Go get help. Go seek professional help. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. The suicide hotline is 1-800-273-8255. If you're struggling, go get help. Don't suffer in silence the way my brother did. I found him dead on the floor one day. Had no idea he was having a hard time. Please go get help. And number two, man, please Tell the people in your life how much you care about them, how much they mean to you. I didn't do a good enough job telling my brother how much I loved him every single time I saw him. So I'm like, hey, Zane, I love you. I care about you. And I should have really busted down the door and said, hey, man, I'm not afraid to have conversation with you. My brother and I played Halo together once a week. I'd drive to his house. We'd play Halo. We'd sit down on the couch next to each other. Not online. Like, we were literally on the same sofa watching, tele- watching Halo and playing Halo together. And um, we were in the same room, feet away. And I never asked him any questions deeper than about sports or girls or movies. And so I encourage you, don't be afraid to have a hard conversation with a little more depth. Make sure the people in your life know how much you love them, how much you care about them, and don't be afraid to have a conversation with a little more depth than just sports or movies or video games. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I hope you're having a great day. Um, I'm excited. I love doing Strong Opinion Sports. It makes me so happy. I really, really appreciate you. Hope you have a great day. But I'm bum. Bam. We are done.